scripture before Jim's lesson is 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come, for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. You know the song, Troublesome Times Are Here, Filling Men's Hearts With Fear. Paul is warning Timothy, in the last days, perilous times will come, hard times will come. It's almost baseball season, and... Um, some of you are still sad football season's over. I'm sorry. But baseball season is here. They're reporting to spring training. <clears throat> uh, you know, in baseball, if you're losing and you know the game is lost, there comes a point in the game where you know the game is lost. And in baseball, you'll, you'll put in your worst pitchers, You'll pull out your first string players. There are times where the blowout is so bad, they'll even pull some guy out of right field who's not a pitcher, and they'll just let him throw 80-mile-an-hour pitches down the middle, and whatever happens, happens. In games like hockey, rugby, probably football too, players are a little more feisty. They're, they're less likely to give up. Even if you know the game is lost, uh, there's at least time to throw a few punches, check people into the walls, the boards of hockey and rugby. At the bottom of the pile, there's a lot of pinching, grabbing, poking, all sorts of stuff. Um, water polo, I don't know if you know this, but it, if you played water polo, those guys wear like three swimsuits because under the water, the other guy is pulling their swimsuit off as they swim away. I mean, there's just clawing. And I, I, I had uh, some nieces and nephews who were good water polo college players. And I was shocked to see all the scratches and bruises of what goes on underneath the water. Anyway, at the cross, we know the, uh, the heel of the seed of Eve was bruised. But the head of the serpent was crushed. And God's victory over sin and death took place in the death and resurrection of Jesus. But the devil's not a baseball player. He's more of a rugby player. He's, not, he's, he's already lost, but he's still going to do everything he can to throw some punches and spoil the fun. And so the church is established. Paul, his missionary companions like Timothy and Titus and Luke and Barnabas, they've gone about preaching the gospel and people are obeying the gospel 
Congregations are started in various cities all uh, outside of just Israel. It's spreading into Asia and continues. But Paul is concerned about something that's about to happen. And I know some people would read 2 Timothy 3 and preach this sermon from the vantage point of the end of time, the coming of Jesus, the return of Jesus, and a lot of twisting and misusing of the scriptures takes place in sermons where uh, they like to get folks worked up about prophetic things. You know, there are folks who have predicted when Jesus will return. We, we've, we've heard those predictions. We've seen those dates come and go. We've seen people quit their jobs, sell their homes, stand out in the street waiting for Jesus and, and then say, oops, I must have, I forgot to carry the one. It's going to be 2030. Uh, but Jesus clearly says of the day and the hour, no, no one knows. I think Paul is talking to Timothy about a concern that Timothy himself is going to live through and have to deal with. A perilous time, a hard time. And I also believe that uh, in the scripture, obviously we keep in mind this massive historic event in AD 70 where Titus and the Roman army surrounded Jerusalem crushed the temple, and that was really the end of, I think that was God's final stomp on Judaism, as Christianity has now been around for some 40 years by that point in time. But like the book of Judges, where we see a cycle, where every generation has their own battles against sin, and their own, their own falling away, and departure, and then cry out for God, and then God rescues I think this is very applicable today, even though he's talking to Timothy about something Timothy is going to have to deal with himself. Paul says to his second letter to the church at Thessalonica, uh, don't worry, you didn't miss the return of Jesus. You didn't miss the second coming. You didn't miss the resurrection, as some people are trying to, to tell you. And so he says here in chapter 2, verse 3, don't be deceived. Don't let anyone deceive you. For the day, that day, that final day, will not come unless the falling away comes first. And then he goes on and he talks about the man of sin, the son of perdition. That's a whole other lesson that uh, maybe we'll just dig into tonight for our, our evening class. But he's telling Christians there's going to be a falling away. Things are going to get worse before Jesus returns. The devil has not given up on his mission to devour Christians, to pull people away from God. He tells Timothy in the first letter, 1 Timothy 4 and verse 1, that some will depart from the faith because of false teachers. He says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, last days, latter times, some will depart from the faith. And why will they depart from the faith? 
because they will give heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. Isn't that an interesting phrase? Deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. What, what could that be? What could that mean? Well, a little help comes from 1 John 4 and verse 1, where John says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. And then he says this, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. That's how it works. Don't be on the lookout for some hiding spirit at night that's going to scare you and then teach you something bad. These doctrines or teachings that really find their source in Satan's workshop, in his kitchen, they make their way out to me and you through people who look just like me and you. They're televangelists who fill stadiums with people. And why would anybody come to listen to a deceptive message or a, a doctrine or a teaching that finds its source in the devil himself? It's because it doesn't come packaged that way. But its end is identifiable. Timothy, perilous times are coming, and here's how you know. People will love themselves, and they'll love money. That usually leads to being arrogant, proud, and boastful. And once you start to think so much of yourself, you start thinking little of others, even God. Blasphemers. Disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without any self-control at all. Hardly identify the fruit of the Spirit in their lives, would you? Oh, are we talking about Christians here? Yes, yes we are. Brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And then he says... Having a form of godliness, but denying its power. These are Christian people that because of false teaching, you end up with false living. False teaching, if it's embraced, ends up being false thinking, and false thinking is false living. Garbage in, garbage out. That's how it works. A form of godliness. You see, they might look on the outside like they haven't left the church at all. They still come. Still bring and win the dessert competition at the Christmas potluck. But it's only a form of godliness. It's form without substance. We use the word hypocrisy. A man named Billy Sunday said, Going to church doesn't make you any more Christian than going to the garage makes you a car. Form without substance. The form of godliness without the power behind it. Who wants a shell of a car? Try giving your sweet 16 son or daughter at their birthday party a Volkswagen bug with nothing under the hood 
no power. In fact, have you seen the commercial about the kid who inherits the family car? It's, um, it's this long station wagon the family calls Sweet Betty or something like that. And so the son walks out and his eyes are closed and they, he's like, okay, I'll open your eyes. And he says, oh, Betty, I can't drive this. How am I supposed to drive this? And the father says, well, a little, little of this right here. <laughs> he didn't want that car. Form without substance. Form without power. Denying its power. Why even bother with Christianity if God's not going to be the wind behind your sail? A diet has no power unless you follow it. What good is a college degree if you cheat on every homework assignment and cheat on your tests? There's no power behind that degree. It's just a piece of paper. It's form with no substance behind it. Following God's plan, if we follow God's plan, we will reap the results of following God's plan, and we will experience the value of actually living the godly life. If you're thinking to yourself, but I go to church, I put money in the plate, I take the Lord's Supper. I sing most of the time. <laughs> you can go through the motions. We're pretty good at putting up a front, wearing a mask, being who we need to be to get through the day at work, to fool whoever we need to fool to get through the day. But we can't fool God. And so if we are pulled away from God such that now we're starting to live the worldly life. We, we saw the list here. We are walking away from God's power to transform, help, protect, provide of our own choosing. We are walking away from all of that. And he tells Timothy later on in 2 Timothy 3.13, he says, evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse. It's going to get worse. And once it gets worse, it's going to get worse to serve. <laughs> Deceiving and being deceived. So these false teachers are described as evil men, impostors, who are themselves deceived as they deceive others. Now make no mistake about it, they're, they're described as evil. They're not just in some trance. You ever wonder when you, I'm not going to use any names, but some will come to your mind. When you turn on and you see a televangelist and they're in some just packed stadium, it's packed. And they're saying things that are just completely false. Or they're not even reading or referencing the Bible at all. You ever wonder how those 30,000 people, not one of them, goes, oh, that's not in the Bible. Nobody ever stands up and says, are we going to use the Bible? Or maybe they're just polite people. But they come back the next week. It's full every week. 
For years, it's full and full and full. Jim, are you just jealous because here we are at Chino and there's about 60 of us? No, I'm not jealous. I'm just amazed at how people can be so easily pulled away. The reason no one stands up and says, uh, are we going to ever get to this? Is because all 30,000 of those people, they don't know this book. Or they wouldn't be there. They wouldn't be there maybe one, two times, and then they'd be gone because they're looking for a church, they're looking for a place where God is central, where truth is central. Nobody has time to waste on error. A quick journey, if, if, you're, if you've got your Bible in your lap, I'm going to go back to 1 Timothy. Paul is writing to Timothy for several reasons, but the main reason is to tell Timothy, you better pay attention to everything I taught you. Do not deviate from the truth, Timothy. There are going to be false teachers, and they're going to do harm to the church. And he sends Timothy to Ephesus. When you read 1 Timothy, uh, in fact, you look at chapter 1 and verse 3, he says, As I urged you when I went into Macedonia, remain in Ephesus that you may charge some that they teach no other doctrine. What's the problem? Verse 4, Nor give heed to fables and endless genealogies which cause disputes, rather than godly edification which is in faith, now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from an unfeigned or sincere faith from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor the things they affirm. These are people teaching and they're just speaking idly. They don't even know what they're saying. They're just getting up and repeating what someone else said or something without substance. But we know it's not finding its source in the faith, in the doctrine of Christ. Uh, he gives a big old list of problems in verses 9. And then he ends in verse 10 and says, These are contrary to sound doctrine. Healthy teaching. Protect the faith. Protect the truth, Timothy. Um, in chapter 1, verse 18, this charge I commit to you, my son Timothy, according to the prophecies made previously concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare. This is a fight, Timothy. Holding faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, having suffered shipwrecked. And then he calls out some people by name of whom are Hymenaeus and, uh, and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they might learn not to blaspheme. I think that's Paul's way of saying, they're not with us anymore. We push them back into the world, because they're speaking against the church, against the truth. But he makes it pretty clear that lives are at stake. And there are two people's lives who be, could be compared to a shipwreck. It's disastrous, leaving God and the truth for fables and idle talk. 
In chapter 4, in verse 1, we mentioned this already, the Spirit expressly says in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. If you come down, chapter 4, verse 6, if you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed, but reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself rather to godliness. Look at verse 16. Take heed, Timothy, to yourself and to the doctrine. There it is again. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. And then the very closing sentence of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verse 20. He says, O Timothy, guard what was committed to your trust. Protect the truth, is what he's saying. Avoid profane and vain babblings and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. By professing it, some have strayed concerning the faith. Grace be to you. Then as you open up 2 Timothy, you notice chapter 1, verse 13, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. It's repeated over and over and over. They are going to be false teachers. Don't pay attention to that idle chatter. Don't pay attention to those stories, fables, old wives' tales. You give yourself over and hold tightly to the pattern of sound words, healthy teaching, sound doctrine. Look at chapter 2, verse 14. These are going to be some familiar words. You've heard uh, verse 15 a thousand times, but hear it in its context. 2 Timothy 2.14, remind them, the brethren of these things, charging them before the Lord, that they not strive about words to no profit. Why? Because it will ruin the hearers. But be diligent <clears throat> to present yourself approved to God. A worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, but shun profane and vain babblings. Why? What's the problem? What's, what's wrong with going to hear just a nice, calm, easy sermon with some good stories. Just set the Bible aside and go ye into all the world, Jesus said, and illustrate. Why can't we just do that? What's wrong with this? He says what's wrong. He says, shun profane and vain babblings because they will increase to more ungodliness. What happens when you set the Bible aside is you set character aside. You set holiness aside. You pull your mind away from the truth and you just open yourself up for harm and danger and deceiving. We are easily deceived. I mean, I'm sure we think we're smart when some clown calls us and, you know, wants to sell you oceanfront property from Utah, whatever. You, you know a scheme. No one's going to fool me. But Christians are fooled all the time. Christians are pulled away from basic truths all the time. And you can see it in the way it plays out in life. It leads to ungodly behavior. 
In chapter 3 and verse 10, he commends Timothy. He says, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, etc. And then look at uh, chapter 4. This is another section of scripture you've probably heard preached from many times. But Paul is, he's been winding up this whole time talking about false teachers when he gives this charge to Timothy. Uh, Look at verse 2. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. Why? Why is it so important to stick to the Bible? For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. People will, will say, I don't want to hear the Bible anymore. Put that thing away. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. We'll just go build another church somewhere else. And we'll get a speaker who makes us feel good. Rather than look into the, the mirror of God's word that's going to show me all of my flaws and imperfections. I don't need that. I need self-esteem. Itching ears. They will heap up for themselves, teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. So we went through 1 Timothy. We went through five passages here in 2 Timothy. False teaching comes in the form of idle talk. When we come here and we have Bible class, or as part of our worship service, we're opening our Bibles, there's no time for it idle chatter there's not this group of Christians is not going to be any better if Sunday after Sunday you come and you just hear someone say you know I want to tell you some fun stories I'm going to make you feel good I might even make you laugh Um, but we're really not going to read the Bible that's a really dated book it's an old book I'm not sure it really even relates to me in my life. Uh, I'd rather just hear stories. You can find churches. They're all over the place where they're not going to go to the Bible. They might use a reference. They might reference, you know, a verse here, a verse there. Well, where do you go? Oh, I go to such and such church. Oh. If you ask them, are they a Bible-based church? Oh, of course, we use the Bible. But that's not what Bible-based means. There is no time for idle talk, waste of time, fables and stories, vain babblings. Paul calls them contradictions of what is true. He calls it false knowledge. In 2 Timothy 2.14, he called them words of no profit to the ruin of the hearers. It might taste good to have pizza and donuts every meal, but it will ruin the inside of you. It will ruin you. It is no different to feed you what you want. To feed myself what I want. Just listen to what I want to hear. 
That, that's what I do in my personal life with the radio. If I hear music I don't want to hear, I change the station. If I hear news I don't want to hear, I change the station. If you say something stupid enough on Facebook, I can unfriend you. And I don't have to hear you anymore. I saw a funny picture that said, this is how we unfriended people back in my day. And it was a page cut out of a yearbook with a big black X over somebody's face. And it said, unfriended. Shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase to more ungodliness. So what is the solution? What should we be doing? 2 Timothy 3, we'll read it together, beginning in verse 14. Paul tells Timothy what he needs to be doing, and it, it applies to us too. But evil men, <clears throat> I'm starting in verse 13, evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. I, I mean, consider the source, Timothy. Right? This is coming from God. This isn't my own invention, Paul's saying. Consider where you learn these things from, and that from your childhood, you've known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. For all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Again, that's just the word teaching. For reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God <clears throat> may be complete, thoroughly equipped, or furnished for every good work. Timothy, we live in perilous times. Hard times are coming. And we, we can look at each other right now and say, we got perilous times. We have hard times of our own. And today, you can find a church on every street, that preaches the Bible, that claims to preach the Bible, but doesn't. And it's up to us. It's up to you and it's up to me wherever I go. If I'm listening to someone, they better be delivering God's message. Otherwise, I'm wasting my time. I'm just a kid who's still watching cartoons and never getting real meat substance for life. I want to be wise into salvation. I want to be corrected if I need to be corrected, but I want to be equipped for life. I want to be furnished with the knowledge I need to make good decisions, right decisions, decisions that will lead me to peace and happiness. I want to be armed with that information, but I'm not going to be. If I go to the SpongeBob SquarePants church down the street, There are people who are gullible. There are people, though, who are not gullible. They just have itching ears to hear a fable and not be convicted by God's powerful word. So this morning's lesson is very simple. It, it is a warning Paul gives to Timothy, but he does tell Timothy, what I'm telling you, I want you to commit that to other faithful brethren who will go and do likewise generation after generation after generation and why is that it's because the devil's not going to take a break 
As long as we're still playing the game, even though he's lost, he's looking to get a few back. He's looking to do damage to the church. And if we are gullible, or if we get to the point where we're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, then we've crossed the line. We've crossed the line, and, and we, we need to stare at this list long and hard and say, am I an unloving, unforgiving person? Am I an unthankful person? Am I haughty? Do I love myself and money? Am I too proud? It's not just like rape, murder. It's not that list. This is a list that Paul tells Timothy, you're going to fall Christian. You're going to see Christians departing from the faith and moving towards this sort of behavior because they are not listening to the, God, the word of God. There is a great danger that comes with not being fed a healthy, constant dosage of this right here. This is what grounds us. We are the church of Christ, the pillar and ground of truth. As we sing the invitation song, <clears throat> my encouragement to everyone is keep your mind in the book. You can look up, look around, see what's going on, but in essence, everything goes right back to the standard. Everything we hear, everything someone else says, everything we bring into our mind and process is not for me to say, do I like it or do I not like it? It's for me to say, does God like that or does God not like that? Because I want to stay in the good graces and protection of God. I don't want to, why, why be form godly? I don't need the form of godliness. I want the power of godliness too. If there's anything the church can do for you, uh, we always invite folks to come forward and make their requests known, prayer requests, or if you're ready to obey the gospel and be baptized into Christ for the remission of sins, won't you come while we stand and sing on bended knee?